Welcome to Crunching Tackles, where we break down the hardest-hitting social issues in sports. On today's show, the World Cup final is this Sunday between Argentina and France, and we're looking back to what got us to this point and also breaking down how we think that this game is going to go. My name is Chad Wiley, and with me, as always, is John Nekrasov. And John, this is going to be a uh, mammoth podcast, I think. If every podcast is a different movie that we're like directing, this is our James Cameron way of water. Um, in terms of what we have planned here, uh, I think this is this is definitely going to be Titanic. Are you promising <laughs> the audience uh, three hours and nineteen minutes of podcasting? Or <laughs> I don't know if I could take that much podcasting. Quite frankly, myself, I don't think I have that much things to say. Just no. universally, no. Um, I, sometimes I don't know how James Cameron has that much to say through film. Uh, but that's another story for another day that we'll get to later. We'll have to talk about Avatar: The Way of Water after we've both spent approximately seven hours of our lives <laughs> watching it. Maybe more if we see it again. True, true. Yeah, we do have a lot to talk about. We have the World Cup, which the last time we podcasted the USA, we're about to play Netherlands. Spoiler alert, that did not go well. Rip. And that's kind of why I guess we really didn't feel inclined to podcast sooner is because we didn't have any, the journey just kind of ended. And so we took the time to just enjoy the rest of the games. And now mm-hmm. we have the final and so we're going to recap most of the things that happened in the knockout rounds. But before we do that, John, we're going to have a couple outside of soccer stories. And before we do that, how's it going? It's going pretty well. It's been it's been an interesting month. I feel like the World Cup has just completely like I've been so locked in. I know we both have, but it's just flown by. And both like the end of the World Cup is around the corner and Christmas is around the corner at the same time. And like having a world cup like festive season has been an absolute blast but it does also feel like it has just like replaced the holiday season for me mostly as just an avid soccer fan which feels very strange like the fact that christmas is less than two weeks away now for us to me does not feel like correct i guess um so i'm doing i'm doing well but it it's been like i feel like i've entered a vortex that's like slowly reaching the end of its like hold on me you know and all of a sudden i'm like oh the world is is real i like step outside and i'm like oh i forgot i forgot what the sun looks like (laughs) (laughs) but yeah how about you how are you doing yeah i i too am i guess easing my way into the christmas spirit as we're now Mm -hmm. you know 10 days away from christmas um we did do a lot of decorating the saturday after thanksgiving so our house has been in good shape but in terms of like Christmas movies, feelings of Christmas, things like that. It's been a little bit slower in coming. We're doing some some Christmas traditions tonight and then kind of into this weekend and then kind of into next week, it'll start to ramp up a little bit. We've got some like uh, an annual get together and then we have my family's Christmas and we're going to be with, with Megan's family on Christmas Day. So a bit of travel, a bit of festivities. And I think that by the time that, you know, a week from today, as I'm getting ready to go to the beach for Christmas, I'm going to start, I think, feeling it much mm-hmm. more than I do today. Are you are you a Christmas movie guy? There's like As a, a movie few guy. that I don't miss. Okay. Um, I don't miss It's a Wonderful Life. Correct. I don't miss Klaus. I don't miss uh, The Polar Express, um, Miracle on 34th Ooh, Street. Some, there are some that I do. Uh, the Benedict Cumberbatch, The Grinch, the new uh, animated one. Um, the Muppets Christmas Carol. There are, mm-hmm. so, you know, there there are some that I'm gonna make sure to see. But you know, whether it's Home Alone, Elf, I'm just like I'm not not interested. Probably not gonna watch Spirited, the new one this year. Just mm-hmm. yeah, 
I stick yeah. with a few trusted classics. I'm very much in the It's a Wonderful Life, Home Alone, Die Hard are my three Christmas movies, and I basically refuse to watch any of the other ones. I hate Elf. That's my like my controversial take that everyone else. Okay, see, this is an Elf hate podcast. Yes. If you <laughs> love Elf, I'm sorry. Yes. This is not the podcast. Get for you. better movie taste. <laughs> Have you seen Klaus, John? I haven't seen Klaus. I, it's on my Netflix list. That's like the animated animated movie from on last Netflix. year, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah, I do need yeah. to see it. I think it's two years old at this point, and I, I, I hate for you time. and for the for the audience, I could not recommend it higher. It is my all time number one Christmas movie. Wow. Yeah. And okay, it's not, okay, maybe it's I'll try it. honestly not that close. It's an, it's maybe an I'll try incredible it. film. All right. All right, John, let's get to it. Um, Sports. First up, let's talk about the big news from last week about Brittany Griner and her prisoner exchange. The last time we talked about the story, uh, Griner had been sentenced to her. Well, she'd actually been placed in, in a penal colony. She had been yep. sentenced previously, but had actually begun to serve her sentence in a Siberian penal colony. Um, and that's kind of where we left it in limbo. We were anticipating that it might take weeks, months, who knew how long for any more news to come. The news did come. The prisoner swap did happen, and it was, I guess, what we thought it would be. Victor Bout, Victor Boot, uh, known as the Merchant of Death, we've talked about him before, being swapped for Brittany Griner. Um, this is a really weird story from a lot of different angles. I think for those of us who are hyper online on Twitter, we've seen a lot of different reactions to it. That's some correct. that I like more than others. But um, I think the, the, the place to start before we get to any of the reaction is Brittany Griner is home and that's a good thing. And I think we should all be glad that she is. Yeah, no, absolutely. I, speaking personally, I mean, I think when we left this conversation off, we kind of left it saying we have no idea when she's going to come home, slash if she's going to come home at all in the foreseeable future. You know, we... We're hoping for the deal to come through, but we definitely weren't confident how long it was going to take. And it ended up taking less than a month from the time she was sent off until the deal was done. Um, And I think that's there are obviously some other angles that we're going to get into, like you said. But I think first and foremost, we brought an American citizen home from being in Siberia and we should not have any American citizens in Siberia. And I think... The fact that we were able to negotiate this is just on its face a good a good thing, you know. This whole situation was crazy. I think she was there for was it somewhere around ten months? I yeah, think, it was in, like two hundred ninety something days. Yeah, mm-hmm. um, which I'm sure was just a harrowing experience for her. It must have been crazy, and I'm sure we'll hear more of her perspective and experiences as time goes on, and as a little bit of distance from that obviously very tense situation kind of is created but like you said I, I think it's it's awesome that we were able to get to this point that she's back with her family she's playing basketball again ESPN reported that you know she had kind of a very limited practice but you know got up and dunking again on her first day and which is just great that she's able to do what she loves again we don't know if she'll play this upcoming season for the WNBA but we'll see I'm sure no one's rushing her to return to the sport Surely not. Um, surely not her team or anyone else. Um, John, when it comes to the reaction, there's kind of three three buckets that I think the reaction kind of comes right. in that we wanted to react to. One is just the sense of how we view Brittany Griner here at home. The second would be um, what we left behind in Russia 
And then the third is what we gave up. Right. I've seen some reaction that's kind of is kind of treating Brittany Griner like a hero, like a like a prisoner of war who's who's come home as a, as a hero, and I've I've bristled at that reaction not because I'm not glad that she's home, like I said I am, and and it's the right thing that she is, and she should not be serving a 12 year sentence for for hashish oil possession, but the reality is the mistake that she made to take that substance into Russia ended up having a big ripple effect of consequences mm-hmm. and not the least of which is who we traded for her and you know as she's I'm sure when she returns going to get standing ovations in every WNBA gym she steps in I wonder um, what you what how how you will think of that when when we when you see that the kind of reception that she's going to get a, a kind of a hero's welcome to someone who certainly should be back but who who may not be the hero that she's going to be treated as in terms of the mistake she made and the consequences that her mistake has caused. Right. I think that's that's an interesting angle. And it also is, you know, compounded, like you said, um, by who we left behind in Russia, which is a U.S. Marine, right? Paul Whelan, who is currently still, there seems to be no chance of getting him out right now. Um, and that was an issue that numerous figures brought up in the aftermath of the deal was that the U.S. was trying to negotiate for both American citizens and in the end only got Griner and people like um, Dallas Cowboys player Micah Parsons were tweeting about it and got a lot of flack from people on the other side of the spectrum who were saying, you know, like, what are you, why are you talking about this? Like, just celebrate Griner coming home. And I think... I don't know. I think there's a both and side to this conversation. I think when you look at the the charges that Russia brought against Griner, like you said, which was hashish oil possession, and they were obviously using that situation as a bargaining chip to get something out of the U.S., um, but they weren't claiming that Griner was a spy or anything like that. She was just an NBA player, WNBA player that you know, they found an excuse to basically weaponize um, to punish the U.S. With Whalen the Marine, they're claiming that he is a spy. And there's, I, I was reading in the New York Times about it. There's all kinds of strange happenings that like sort of happened in his detention where he was like, it seems like he may have been set up by the Russians to be arrested. And the U.S. has denied that he was a spy, but, like, we don't really know what happened there. And so, like, I, I guess to start it off the conversation, I understand that, like, it's complicated to get prisoner exchanges. Um, but I do think that our celebration here, one, has to be tempered, like you said, by the fact that maybe this is a circumstance that shouldn't have happened in the first place. And two, it is mitigated by the fact that we've left an actual soldier you know, in Russia, that that like that's not that is not by any means like a, a thing to like be celebrating, even though we can celebrate part of it. Yeah. The people who are using leaving Paul Whelan behind as a way to criticize the Biden administration for the way that they handled the prisoner exchange uh, may not know or may not care that um, several years ago, the Russia offered Paul Whelan to President Trump for Victor Boot. 
and Victor and uh, President Trump turned it down. Oh, that's interesting. Um, I didn't know that. Yeah, that was that was offered years ago. But the reason why I bring that up is because what this has done is it has heightened, it set the bar really, really high for U.S. prisoner exchanges. Mm-hmm. If we are giving a arms dealer, an international terrorist, for someone convicted of hashish oil possession, what will we give up for someone who is charged with espionage mm-hmm. or, sp- or spying on the government? The the the, it's true that the Biden administration says that they tried to get Paul Whelan home and the, that they were told they could have Griner or nobody. But the reality is, it is now going to be exponentially harder to bring Paul Whelan home because of how much we have offered in exchange for for Brittany Griner, whose conviction was on a far 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 less severe charge than what Paul Whelan is being accused of, and so I think. From that standpoint, just from a pure logistical standpoint, as as other countries are looking at, you know, the price that we paid for her, um, their prices are only going to skyrocket for other kind of prisoner exchanges that might take place in the future. And that's sad and it's going to make it a lot more complicated to bring him home. Mm-hmm. Um, you're right to highlight him. Um, I mentioned that Victor Boot was offered for uh, Paul Whelan previously. Now, obviously, he is exchanged for Brittany Griner. And I guess it'd be probably... The right thing to do would be to end on him um, and just just reemphasize, you know, who he is and the, the price that we've paid and and just um, what this means for for the geopolitical landscape as a whole for the world. Right. I mean, as we've talked about before, he, you know, was arrested and was involved as we as at least supposedly with numerous arms dealings um, throughout both Eastern Europe and the Middle East, though he's denied. Um, dealing with al-Qaeda or the Taliban. We don't know if that's true, obviously. But, you know, he is someone who has had ties to terrorist and, you know, bad actor states, obviously, throughout the world and has perpetrated and had ties to evil acts that completely outweigh, you know, it's, it's a stunning impact for one man, I guess you would say. And he has very close ties to Putin. He is, you know, a very influential person in Russia. And the difference between that and Brittany Griner or even Paul Whelan is, you know, a pretty big disparity, I think, is I think is the big takeaway here. I don't know if you have anything else to say about him specifically, but it kind of this whole situation sort of reminds me of an Israeli soldier, Gilad Shalit, who was... Um, captured by Hamas in the early 2000s and he was basically a POW for I think it was like five years or something and it was a huge controversy in Israel because you know as Israel was trying to negotiate his release there was the kind of that question constantly of how much is one of our human lives worth and when you're dealing with bad actors whether they're terrorist states or nation rogue nations who are at war with your neighbors and who are opposed to our international goals you know you run up against the question of how much they're constantly trying to test how willing you are to sacrifice in exchange for getting your people back and the overwhelming majority of israelis from what i could tell at least um in reading up on this beforehand backed this deal but they ended up trading over a thousand prisoners for this one israeli soldier which numerous of them were 
terrorists who had killed Israelis. And so like that's situations like that kind of raise an interesting question of like how much value do we place on one person being home, you know? And I don't think on the one hand, I, I get that we are frustrated that we let someone like that go. But I think sometimes the question is like, do we want the person back or not? Because the the other the bad actor is going to try to abuse a country being good to its people, you know? Right. Like Russia doesn't Russia wouldn't care if they had one civilian who is arrested on some kind of random like US charge of smuggling something like that they have no interest in trying to like you know bring the citizen home um so i don't know i think it's complicated and i i understand the frustration but i also think situations like this are much more complicated than we give our government credit for on the other hand yeah if you're joe biden it's possible to feel both assured that you did the right thing and also miserable at the price you paid yeah and i think that's kind of how i feel like if i was in those shoes would i have made the same call i think i would have but you can still say that you would make that call and objectively feel discomfort at the price you paid. Mm-hmm. And I think that we, we do feel discomfort at that. And I think that, like like you said, as the, as we are rightfully celebrating Brittany Griner's return home, um, it's important to not forget Paul Whelan and his family, as well as the countless families of victims of Victor Boots arms trafficking, both in the past and now potentially in the future. Um, and those people should not be forgotten just because their names are not as famous as the one who's making all the headlines. I, that's kind of all I have to say on this. I don't know if you have anything else. Yeah, pretty much same. Okay. Uh, the second story we wanted to touch on before we get to the soccer, and this is, I guess, uh, it's a bit of an old story at this point. I actually wanted to bring it up last week and com- or last time we podcasted, and I just completely forgot. Oh, yeah. But I wanted to talk about the Jerry Jones controversy with the photo uh, I'm sure most people have seen it by now. It's a photo that surfaced in from 1957 at a high school in Little Rock, Arkansas, where six black teenagers were attempting to desegregate that school for the first time. And the picture shows kind of this mob of white people who were, you know, based on interpretation, either standing around observing or directly trying to impede this uh, desegregation taking place. And one of the people seen in the picture is Jerry Jones. And this was a huge story. It was dominating mm-hmm. ESPN airtime for the next basically week afterward. Um, and again, we can talk about the merits and then we can talk about the reaction. I have a few thoughts on both. But um, mm-hmm. just in terms of Jerry Jones and if this changes your image of him and how we deal, how we balance accountability with grace, what, what was your thoughts when you saw the picture? It's an interesting situation. A lot of different athletes and commentators have been asked about it too a lot of it seems like most people are inclined to just kind of be like okay it happened he claims just for a little bit of context he claims that he was just an observer there there were obviously people who were impeding directly the students from entering the school but jones claims that he probably shouldn't have been there but was just watching what was going on and has said that he wishes he had done more regardless you know he's in that situation he's most likely kind of just gawking at what's going on and i don't know his heart at the time and he hasn't really like clearly said you know what he was thinking whether he was 
in opposition to the students coming in, though he seems to have voiced at least a, a measure of regret at what happened. You know, I think it's I think it is a story, but maybe not particularly a surprising story to me. Not that I would say like I'm like, oh, I think Jerry Jones was, you know, for segregation and was a racist and is a racist and whatever. But I mean, he he lived in that era, in that area of the country. Right. And it's not particularly, I guess, shocking that someone who went to that high school would then be found in a photograph from that era with controversial events happening at that high school. Yeah. You know, like on 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 just from a historical standpoint, it's like I'm surprised things like this have not been found before about him. And I guess the question is like how big of a deal do we think this is that he's there? For me, it's not like he's it's not like he is like screaming at students. It's not like he is doing anything as far as we know right um that's like actively confrontational i think the most that you could say just based completely on conjecture is that he's there to support the students who are blocking the other students in so like i think i think to to me i don't know what you think but to me this is like a sort of a story that's like sort of a link of jerry jones to a historical event that kind of checks out when he was super young and is also like not that big of a story, honestly. I don't know. Like, I feel like this is something that's sort of been blown out of proportion a little bit. It's not like, unlike Governor Northam, who was found wearing you know, like KKK outfits in yeah. a uh, yearbook. Like, that's a fairly controversial thing. Like, this is him being present at something, but not necessarily being implicated in an act, which I think would be much more important. Right, right. I mean objectively the optics are bad yeah absolutely we live in a society in 2022 almost 2023 where almost universally we all agree that school segregation was wrong yep desegregation is good and intimidation of black people being allowed to live in society is also bad yes um and i i would hope that jerry jones feels the same way now regardless of how he felt then Right. And it seems like, I guess it seems like he does. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. And so I guess when you think about the merits of it, and I, I think that the the grace that you give, regardless of what his intentions were, were. Right. It was a long time ago and he's young. He He was 14 years old. No one wants to be held accountable for what they did at 14. Everyone's done dumb stuff at age 14. Um, this is kind of the argument that Stephen A. Smith made a bit, which is just that, one, he was young and should not be, you know, treated like he was an adult when this happened or that he had the mental capacity or frame of mind or cultural experiences that he has now as an adult. And secondly, that people are in many ways a product of their time, their mm-hmm. location and their upbringing. We don't know much about how his parents lived. We know much. We don't know much about what his friends said. We don't know what kind of influences he had. But we do know that parental influence, peer pressure, and cultural assimilation are all giant pressures on teenagers. They are today, and they were back then. And so if he came there just as an observer, fine. Even if he came there in support, I still think that there is grace Mm -hmm. to be had. I think that the accountability that I haven't seen that I want is 
I want him to answer some questions. Yeah. I don't want him sure. to be punished necessarily. I don't want him to like be suspended or fined necessarily. But I would really, really like to see him sit down with a journalist, maybe a black journalist, for a, a lengthy conversation to talk about that time, what he was thinking then, what he's learned, and how he lives now. I think that would be a productive thing for him to do. I think sure. it would do good for his image. But most importantly, I think it would be educational for those of us who are trying to understand how something that happened 67 years ago relates to today. Yeah, absolutely. I think that would be super interesting. And he obviously, he kind of has a, maybe a not so great optics image already in this kind of category. Obviously, he's noted for speaking against Kaepernick um, and speaking against the, I guess he kind of tempered his response as far as I remember in 2020, but he was definitely openly against kneeling for the anthem um, when that controversy initially started. And so his, you know, regardless of your opinions on that whole gesture, you know, he hasn't really spoken very much against racism, you know, at least that I know of. Um, And I think that would be an interesting conversation to happen. I think it would be a conversation worth having as one of, you know, we talk about the, the white boys club of men that are at the top of the NFL, you know, everyone's writing about Jerry Jones as maybe the the pinnacle. Yeah, of he's that. the president of that club. He is the president of the White Boys Club of the NFL, absolutely. Yeah. And I mean, he's been around for so long as the Cowboys owner, you know, and I think I don't know, I think that's a conversation that should have I don't necessarily my impression of Jerry Jones isn't one of a particularly great guy. You know, just just being frank from the yeah, various sure. stories that come out of the Cowboys organization. And we've talked about, you know, people, numerous owners having bad behavior. I don't necessarily get the impression that Jerry Jones is like an evil owner. Like maybe I feel like Dan Snyder is, but I don't feel like he's a particularly good person, you know, necessarily. So I'm not out here trying to hold him to like. A standard of like, I hope that you're going to, you know, be a good person now, Jerry. That's not my expectation. But I think him holding a public role and, you know, being a caretaker of a much beloved, quote unquote, and also much hated American organization around the world means that, you know, if you are tied to this, to an organization that plenty of black players play for and have played for and black fans support um, that you as the owner of that team should be responsible to talk about something like this. So I think you're right. I I think it's not so much that he should be punished for this. Like you said, Um, Stephen A talked about it. Dak Prescott talked about it. I think there absolutely is grace for someone who's changed in that regard, you know, 60, 70 years on from those incidents. Um, but I think it's your beholden as an owner and as a caretaker of a cultural institution to be responsible to your fans and to the American people to take responsibility for what happened in the past if you really have changed. So I think I yeah. think the main takeaway is that you're right there, and I I would like to hear more from him, but I'm also not like burn Jerry Jones's house down, you know? Yeah, I think in many ways as a society we've come. We, we kind of expect 
we, we look back on these kind of eras as if they were such like a distant part of our past that we've just Absolutely. progressed so far from. And when like you sit back and think about it, like my dad, who is about to turn 60 uh, next month, was born before the Civil Rights Act or the Voting Rights Act were passed. Jerry Jones was a, was a teenager in 1957. Like that is not that long ago that Jim Crow and segregation and like pre-Voting Rights Act stuff was like a thing. Like, like again, like this is not like a relic from ancient ancient history these these are people who are still like alive that have had all of this shift in their lifetime my mom was like born before the voting rights act was passed i guess that was a long t- it feels like a, like a long long time ago but it really wasn't mm-hmm. yeah i mean I, I i just watched 42 the the jackie robinson movie i guess it was a couple weeks ago now and there's that one scene that we talked about where there's i guess it's a manager on an opposing team that's just like screaming racial slurs at Jackie as he's at bat just for like an entire game basically and the fact that like like it's just such a jarring thing to like think about racial hate like that just being allowed in public as like a completely normal thing and the fact that that literally is like one lifetime ago yeah like there are people alive right now who were alive back then and like lived in the same America and America is now completely different. Like, but it was like that was just America one lifetime ago. Is insane, genuinely, and it's it's hard to believe. And grappling with how close those that history is, I think, is something that we are responsible to deal with. And the people who have lived through that, you know, a lot of people really have grown. A lot of people were different back then. A lot of people were not racist, you know, but some people were. Um, because that was what society handed them. And they were also, some people were just racist. But I think as we continue to kind of grapple with these issues, I think this is something that we, you know, we see every so often. I think it's important to address it every time it raises itself, even if it's not a situation where you're like, this person needs to, you know, be called to action, be canceled for their crimes, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Briefly, just before we move on, I... There's lots of reaction. You mentioned Dak Prescott. We mentioned Stephen A. Smith. One person who took the opportunity to chide the media about this subject was LeBron James, who basically like ended a press conference by asking why he wasn't asked about the story after he was asked about the Kyrie Irving story, which, on the one hand, I think that LeBron James should feel like he can go to a press conference and talk about basically whatever he wants. But the expectation that he should be asked about it because he was asked about the Kyrie Irving story makes absolutely zero sense to me for two reasons. One, Kyrie Irving is an athlete in his sport of which he is the founding, not the founding, the premier voice the founding in his father, sport. Sure. The found, he, he's on the Mount Rushmore of the sport in which that happened. Two, Kyrie Irving is not just a former teammate of LeBron's. He is a former teammate on a championship team, like, like almost one finals MVP in 2016 with LeBron. Jerry Jones is the owner of a team that LeBron James claims to be a fan of, even though he's from Ohio, but he cheers for the team in Dallas. And so, like, I guess, like, it's fine if he wants to talk about Jerry Jones, but the idea that he should be asked about what an NFL owner is doing because he was asked about what his friend, colleague, and former teammate was doing in his sport just does not make any sense at all also like the caliber of what's going on here between 
something that occurred 70 years ago that may or may not have a reflection on Jerry Jones as a person now and Kyrie Irving blatantly posting anti-Semitism last month. Like there's a clear kind of mis- mismatch, at least in my mind, of like relevance sure. to current press conferences, which I, I yeah. Yeah. I don't have a lot of time for LeBron's takes, but that's okay. Right. Like if I was a media member, if I want if I want a reaction to Jerry Jones, there are a lot of people that I'm going to before I think to talk to LeBron. Like Dak Prescott. But if I'm talking to Kyrie Irving, there really aren't that many people I want to hear about more than LeBron. That's just that's just me. Um, let's move on to the soccer. And as we transition from culture issues to more of the games, we do want to touch on um, a couple culture issues. And they're both they're both quite tragic. Um, we're talking about the deaths of a migrant worker who died recently in Qatar. He was a security guard who fell from a stadium and uh, passed away um, in Qatar. And also Grant Wall, the American soccer journalist who passed away in Qatar. Um, he was having heart issues and uh, died in the press box during during a game. Mm-hmm. And uh, both of these are really, really tragic. Um, not Obviously, not much is known about the migrant worker, but you don't want to mention the person we do know without mentioning the person we don't know. And while we don't know a whole lot about him, you know, he has a family who are, are devastated, friends who are devastated, and it's just a, a small microcosm of the massive amount of migrant death in Qatar over the last mm-hmm. decade. Um, Grant Wall is someone that I think I know a bit more personally, not like I've ever met him, but I've, I've heard a lot of his voice over the mm-hmm. past, you know, five, six years. I don't know if what you have to say about him, John, but when he was working for Sports Illustrated, when I was first following soccer, his his was the first soccer podcast that I subscribed to. Mm. And I've listened to him do podcasts for six years since. And I think I tribute a lot of my knowledge about soccer, my knowledge of teams. my Most of what I learned from soccer, about soccer, was from watching games and then listening to Grant Wall talk about them uh, mm. before I found any other podcast or any other person to listen to. He was American soccer. For, yeah. for a long time and um, in addition to that he wrote other stories he for example he wrote the the cover story that declared LeBron James as the chosen one that was a Grant Wall story just a massive figure in American media who died at age 48 in Qatar covering the World Cup yeah it was just stunning I kind of went through I was on Twitter as I you know, invariably am during the World Cup and I was on Twitter as kind of people's just randomly people started tweeting kind of in shock and there wasn't a lot of context at first and no one knew what was going on and it soon I guess came to came to pass that everyone started like realizing what had happened and that he had died at the I think it was the Argentina Netherlands game and just the outpouring of grief and of stories about Grant was just amazing it seemed like every member of the American sports media for sure. And then even, you know, the international sports media people that we follow, there were so many ties that he had to people, to fans that he just, he always took the time. It seems like to talk to anyone who was interested in soccer, who was trying to understand how something worked. He took the time to just talk to random people and fans and to help other journalists out. Um, you know, being kind of the face of American soccer journalism, he was always trying to, you know, help young budding journalists get 
a leg up in the industry and he also just did like you said like so much um to boost the profile of the sport through his writing and podcasting and stuff and it's really remarkable remarkable to see how much influence one person can have on a sport through the media and i think that's you know part of why we you know have always loved the various like places we've had in the media you know such a unique industry and i think he was clearly a unique and just incredibly like kind person in an industry that you know i remember one one person said that like it's just a lot of people have said it's a hard to find kind people like that in a very cutthroat and an intense industry and yet he, he really seemed to exemplify that and so definitely you know our hearts go out to his family in a time like this it must be so difficult um but i know his legacy for everyone who kind of was touched by him will definitely live on yeah the word kindness was the theme of the Mm -hmm. tributes and at the end of the day that's kind of the most that anyone can wish yeah more more so than what you accomplish or, or your profile uh to be described by literally every single person who came into contact with you as just over the top kind is quite a legacy to leave behind uh, that, that's quite remarkable and he will be he will be greatly missed by his family i'm sure by the american soccer community and by by anyone who's been touched by his work mm-hmm. in the past absolutely um, yeah john there was um plenty of soccer to talk about we the last time we podcasted like i said at the beginning was kind of the the usa going into the knockout rounds and since then we've had a lot to talk about now let's go ahead and start with the usa they did not advance they at did all not. from when we last spoke. They lost to the Netherlands, uh, three to one, three to two, three to one. Three, yes. It was three to one. It, it was three, three to one. To one. Yep. yep, they weren't very good, but neither were the Netherlands. And the USA kind of beat themselves in some ways. All three goals that we conceded had some pretty awful defending related to them. Uh, people not marking their man, people just being out of position, not running mm-hmm. back quickly. Just, just not, not a good day. For, for the USA. But I guess, I don't know. Let's spend a couple minutes just on how we feel about this team. I feel two ways. Like, I feel like it was a good tournament based on where we've been in the past. Mm-hmm. But I feel like it was a bad tournament based on where I feel like we should be. Um, I feel I feel like, you know, if, if you put into context the fact that we, you know, lost to Trinidad and Tobago and didn't qualify for the previous World Cup, you know, advancing from the group to the round of 16 is is progress. But for a team with the status of the USA, with the caliber of players of the USA, and with the potential, I think at, at the same time that I recognize that it was progress, it still feels like an, an underachievement just based on where I think the USA should be in the world of soccer right now. Well, because we once again didn't progress past the round of 16. Right. Um, that happened, I believe, in 2010 and 2014. And now, having not been to 2018, has happened in 2022. Yeah. So, in a very direct, like, numerical sense, that's not progress um, in terms of stage in the tournament. But well, it's progress also, from 2018, but right, not that, pro- That's right. true. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just mean in terms of, like, our recent program history. Mm-hmm. In terms of stage, that's not progress. Yeah. That being said, I don't think you can fully measure a team's progress just by their round because it just depends on the opposition you face. 
right? You can't have the best team of your life and then face France in the first round and go out and, you know, then it's possible that you could have made it to the semifinals and had the best team in American history and yet have nothing to show for it, right? And I don't think that means that you didn't make progress in that hypothetical, you know? So in this circumstance, I think there were marks of progress in the way we played at certain points. And then marks that there's a lot to learn still that we have not advanced in quite yet. So I yeah. think I think in terms of progress, what I would say, there were phases in every game in this tournament where the U.S. played like a very good team in terms of its buildup, in terms of its defense. Um, the first half against Wales was we eviscerated the Welsh defense. We scored a good goal. We didn't score much aside from that, but it was an excellent half in control of the ball the entire time. Yeah. For much of the England game, we controlled that game. Albeit we didn't create a ton of chances, but it was a generally pretty good performance where England, aside from some set pieces, didn't threaten very much at we all. We were better than England. Yeah. Absolutely. Game. Against Iran, again, first half, pretty good for the most of the first half. Second half, faded again, just like in the Wales game. The Dutch game for me is the toughest one it kind of because i think it was our worst performance overall because we were matched up against a team that were willing to take their chances and the dutch did that and punished our mistakes but we also had good passages of play against the dutch that if we had taken our chances it could have been a much closer game i think and so i think yeah. like i'm not like trying to like whitewash what occurred because I think it w- there were a lot of errors in that game that made it a bad performance overall. But I think the recipe for America being a pretty solid team, if not necessarily a good team, is there. Yeah, I'm not that saying game. that we should like scrap the players and start yeah. over, but I guess I would feel almost better if like we got beaten by a team who like had you know, they had 70% of the ball and, and had 20 shots and scored really, really good goals. And we just, you know, maybe like nicked one goal back, but lost definitively. But again, like like you said, I think because there were passages of play where we felt like we were better than the Netherlands because we had a really good chance mm-hmm. to go up one nil early that was saved. And because you can point to a defender and a mistake for every single goal that they scored... I think that kind of increases the disappointment because we played good enough to win and we didn't win and we beat ourselves just as much as they beat us, right? They, you know, we play Argentina and Messi scores a 30-yard free kick. No complaint from me. Mm-hmm. But to see them just, you know, have these wide open chances in the box because we're not defending, that's where the frustration, I think, and the disappointment comes from. Um, before we get off the U.S., we did want to mention the story that we've been talking about with Gio Reyna um, and Facts. him not playing, which continued. He played, I guess, a half against – did he come on at halftime? Against the Dutch, yeah, he did. Uh, in, in the Netherlands game, and he was probably our best player when he did mm-hmm. come on. Um, that was, like, pretty clear. But um, since then, Greg Berhalter did a very, very weird interview where he – would not name Giorena by name, but said that there was a player that he thought about sending home before the tournament started. Um, you know, 
given what the discussion that had been going on, everyone immediately understood who was being talked about. And that forced Gio to go onto Instagram and make a statement clarifying that he had been told pre-tournament that he was not going to feature, that that affected his attitude in training, that he takes responsibility for the fact that he was not trying hard. He apologized to his team for that and had been told by the coaching staff that this would remain in-house and would not be made public, that it had been dealt with and was done. But then the coaching staff, whether it's Halter or someone else from the from the team, released, talked about, leaked, or, or told the story without using his name. And he felt hurt by that, I think mm-hmm. rightfully. Um, I, I, you know, in a situation where Giorena takes accountability for what he did, admits his mistakes, and was handled by the team, he comes out looking better somehow than the I coaching so, staff. Yeah who look like they're airing out this dirty laundry for, for no reason other than to damage Giorena's reputation. I don't know why. It makes no sense. Yeah, I don't know why you would try to hide it during the circumstance and then out it later. Yeah, like immediately talk about it later. Yeah, it, like, Bearhalter went to some kind of conference, some kind of like leaders conference that he said was supposedly off the record. And then I, I'm like... And then puts this whole statement out, you know, at this conference talking about leadership situations. And it's like, you don't think that people are going to listen to everything you say in this kind of circumstance when you're clearly having tried to dodge all these questions about Gio, who is one of your most informed players, even though he's been injured, like in terms of talent wise. Yeah, he's probably America's best player when he's fit. The fact that he wasn't going to play at all and basically didn't play at all. And then you say this as if like we don't know who it is, is just bizarre. So that has to mean, right, I'm sure Bearhalter is not stupid. So for some reason, he wanted this news to be out there. And that to me is very strange that he would try to air it in that way. And I think I think that's a baffling coaching decision to me that once again makes me question some of Bearhalter's credibility in coaching this team moving forward if that's the way you're going to be managing your best player arguably and on top of that i want to start you know i think i think it does geo's attitude was an issue it sounds like and his teammates were very upset from what it sounds like and it sounds like they didn't want him to play you know based on his attitude and so i understand you know like that's an issue that you as a coach have to deal with and geo has to be a professional in that circumstance if he is not getting playing time but on the flip side what in the world is Berhalter doing that Gio is not getting playing time like why is that something that's being decided before the World Cup to begin with we were all sitting there like why on earth is this kid not playing like why are you making that decision saying you're going to be a bit part contributor in this World Cup ahead of like who Jordan Morris ahead of um, what's his name um, I've forgotten that Josh Sargent. Like I forgot, okay, I, keep, forget, yeah, I yeah. keep forgetting the names of all our forwards because they didn't <laughs> do anything all tournament. You yeah. know, it it, 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 I just don't get it. I genuinely don't get it. If, if he was, if you knew he wasn't going to play, why'd you bring him? Exactly. It doesn't make any sense. I'm, I'm, I'm truly baffled by it. Um, and, I, and the reality I, I, is, it's not going to. I well. think, I think Greg Berhalter is on pretty shaky ground. Yeah. And if I was placing, you know, we host the World Cup in 2026, we're automatically qualified. Will, will he be the coach in 2026? My bet is no. I'll say this. This is my last thought on this. 
is this the kind of decision that a coach makes who thinks he's going to be in this job for much longer? Personally, no, I'm no. not sure that it is. No, it's not. Yeah, that's a good that's a good point. Um, John, so that's the round of 16. Uh, we lost quarterfinals for the next round. L. And this was interesting because Brazil lost. They went out to Croatia on penalties. Croatia are going to be a recurring story on this podcast as one of, again, just an awesome team. Mm-hmm. Um, Brazil were the betting favorite going in. I think they were both of our favorites. I think we both picked them to win the whole thing. I did. Yep. I did as well. That didn't happen. And this might be the end for Neymar, who is Brazil's best player right now. He he is not committed to playing another World Cup beyond this. And I think the other big loss in the quarterfinals was Portugal, who lost to Morocco. And this is interesting because it's not only most likely Cristiano's Ronaldo's last World Cup, it probably is the last time we ever see Cristiano Ronaldo play soccer again. It may because be genuinely. He most likely is going to Saudi Arabia. And I don't know about you, but I don't pay for the Saudi Arabian soccer TV broadcast. And so No, I don't. He's most likely not going to be playing at a level where I will ever take the time to see him again. And that's I guess, you know, very well could be the end to Ronaldo on a whole and to definitely Neymar's international career with Brazil. Those are two, you know, heavyweight countries to go out in the quarterfinals and I'm sure they're both very disappointed both coaches are now out uh, for both those teams following mm-hmm. those those defeats so yeah I think oh and England we'll just, in the quarterfinals Sorry. and England England dropped Another, out too yeah the, the, the Giants were slain Portugal were slain by Morocco ultimate semifinalist which was incredible since they had knocked Spain out as well in an earlier round Brazil also slain by perennial, just long-lasting giants, the Croatians, who just seem to never say die until Argentina finally finally beat them in the next round, which we'll get to in a little bit. Yeah, I think I think Neymar personally, he's going to be thirty-four next World Cup. I would be surprised if he doesn't suit up one last time, given that Messi and Ronaldo both have. Um, I think it's possible, but it seems unlikely that he wouldn't participate at all. Ronaldo, I do think, is done. And the large part of me just simply says, good riddance. I did. Uh, I felt bad for him for the first time in my life the other day because I saw like a TikTok edit of the um, the Cars 3 scene where Lightning McQueen is like being passed by all these really fast new cars. <laughs> And he was like Ronaldo, super yeah. superimposed over Lightning McQueen, and for the first time, I was like, "Aw!" I was like, "Do I feel bad for Ronaldo right now? Like, did it take a Cars edit for me to feel bad for the person I've hated my entire life?" And then I felt bad for a second, and then I'm like, "Yeah, good riddance anyway." So, Cars three, not a very good movie, but it was not a very good movie. But that, that that moment, that yeah. moment did yeah. bring some emotion in my. I was like, "I didn't, I didn't expect this." Ronaldo is the worst. He's always been the worst. I've always hated him. Um, <laughs> so really a World Cup highlight like he's never scored a World Cup knockout goal in his career in a World Cup highlight for me every World Cup that I've been around has been him choking in the playoffs of the World Cup constantly but this did feel different it felt strange I think it's different watching someone at the peak of their powers who you love to boo failing and screaming at his teammates 
knowing that he could do better, you know? I think it's different seeing that and seeing this where it's like a Ronaldo who is no longer himself, you know? And it feels kind of like it is a little bit sad almost that his like generational powers have kind of waned because he really was. He really has been one of the greats of the sport as much as I have loved to hate on him at every possible opportunity. Credit where credit is due. He has been an incredible player for a long time, um, even though he has a very bad attitude. Talk about bad attitudes with Gio Reyna. Ronaldo's attitude has been terrible for his entire career, and yet somehow he's still been pretty good. Yeah, I, I would imagine that, you know, for for you, you've been a, a diehard Ronaldo hater from, from pretty much day one. <laughs> Basically. Um, probably since he scored that free kick against Arsenal when he was playing for Manchester United the first time. That probably was the was the that first like I don't bad think I was like, even mouth. I wasn't even aware of like okay. Ronaldo back then, but like I think I think in the universe I felt it in my soul probably. Yeah, probably. But I, I, I would add that it, probably in the past 24 months, um, a lot of people who were maybe neutral or even positive on Ronaldo have moved toward you. Right. Um, in, especially in terms of his attitude, things that he's inflicting on himself and his image. Yeah, just, just not a good end of career uh, moment or, or, or journey. Just been very, very ugly. Not fun at all for anyone involved. And yeah, so the big those three heavyweights all went out in the quarterfinals, semifinals. I think the story was Morocco, who were the first ever African nation to make it to a semifinal, which is insane. Famously, Ghana was in a quarterfinal and they mm-hmm. lost to Uruguay and Luis Suarez after he intentionally uh, got a handball to stop a goal, and then Uruguay saved the penalty and Ghana went out. But you can look up that up on YouTube. In this game, Morocco played France, and France beat them pretty comprehensively, I feel. Um, I think Morocco did have glimmers of hope, but I think France were the better team throughout. Um, That's they interesting have been, to me. Yeah, they've been cruising to the to the final for me. I, you, I think you used to look like you disagree. So You really felt like France was the better team in that game? Overall? Yeah. Yeah, I do. That's, see, that's because I felt to me... What this game felt like was a pretty savvy French team that took its moments when it needed to. Similar, I guess, to the Netherlands-USA game, which, like, by definition, I guess, like, France, to a degree, had the more experienced performance and did what it needed to do to get through. I guess to a degree, that makes them the better team, but I feel like France, on the whole, didn't look very good. I guess is what I would say. They looked shaky numerous times. The amount of opportunities that Morocco, if it decided to shoot the ball in the six-yard box instead of just dribbling around in circles, I think France could have easily lost this game, quite frankly. It just felt like it was never Morocco's day to score, but they dominated the ball for large stretches of the game. They defended pretty well. They counterattacked pretty well, aside from those basically two errors that led to France goals. I just, I don't know. I just didn't feel like France gave me much going forward for the majority of the game. And I don't feel like they really defended very well. And I don't know, like this is a veteran French team that obviously is missing a lot of its key players, but still has a first 11 that is, you know, definitely can win the World Cup. But it's just, I don't, I don't, I don't think this French team is like playing particularly well at all. Yeah. I mean, to me, I hear what you're saying. And you're you're right on your points, but you're describing again the USA Netherlands game, right? Where one one team had the ball, one team had 
lots of chances that they didn't take. And the other team, you know, played disciplined, took their chances, and converted. Right. And 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 it was the other team, the team that designed the ball's mistakes that led to their goals and as well. But like, no one's going to leave USA Netherlands say that USA were like definitively the better team. I think Netherlands were the better team that day, in part because they didn't make the mistakes and took their chances. And that's what France did. They didn't think, make mistakes and they took the chances. I think that's what I disagree. Is I think France did make mistakes. I guess is what I'm trying to say, and they just weren't punished for them. So I guess it's like if. I think you're right in that in the end, if you're not punished for your mistakes and you punish other teams' mistakes, then you do end up being like to a degree the better team. Yeah. But I think for the majority, I guess what I'm saying is the majority of the game, Morocco looked better and either France got bailed out by Lloris or just had lucky moments where Morocco didn't take their, like just didn't shoot the ball. So I think, I think France absolutely deserved to go through. I will say that. I don't think Morocco deserved to win this game because they weren't clinical. But I don't. I guess what I'm saying is I don't leave this game feeling confident about France. Hmm. Do you want to say a word about Morocco before we look ahead to the final? Argentina won the other final. We'll get to that. Mm-hmm. Uh, they beat Croatia pretty comfortably. But like I said, I think Morocco. They, they have been the. I guess the the Cinderella to use a to use a March Madness term. They have been the Cinderella mm-hmm. of this World Cup. Yeah, they absolutely have been. They're the only the third non-South American slash European team to ever make the World Cup semifinals, which is a remarkable achievement. The other two yeah. were the USA in the inaugural edition in 1930 and South Korea in incredibly controversial circumstances in 2002, uh, which we won't get into for the sake of brevity. But the fa- that's a huge accomplishment. Um, and I hope that Morocco can build on this foundation and like the USA, maybe find someone who uh, can shoot a little bit better than, <laughs> than yeah. they did thus far. Yeah. Um, they fought really well. Um, I think they did. They defended resolutely throughout the tournament. And then I think, you know, they went behind early in this game. And that did play into France's game plan a little bit. I think they had France on the ropes at numerous points in this game, which is remarkable given how good this French squad is. Uh, but they just didn't quite have enough in the tank to really make it count when it mattered. Um, and I think that is the difference between these two teams is this French team is a team of World Cup winners. Yeah. And that can't be underestimated. Um, and when I when we pivot to look at Argentina, I think we've got a imperfect team that is a World Cup winner and an imperfect team that has the greatest soccer player of all time on the hunt for the perfect end to his Argentinian career, basically. And we have a fascinating matchup, I think, between two solid but not incredible teams, both kind of looking for the same thing. Yeah. Yeah, I think the comparison that I want to use is kind of like, it's kind of like late stage Tom Brady against um you know some of those more like flashier teams you mm-hmm. know kind of like the last Super Bowl he went with the patriots against the rams when everyone kind of like, like oh yeah the rams are the new thing they well, they like got the Mahone, like the, the coach and then again yeah against yeah. uh the the chiefs when he played for the bucks in both those games both of those super bowls like i think france remind me more of the brady teams where they're more like more workmanlike a little bit le- you know less 
talented, a little less showy, but they have the championship experience. They have their resiliency and they, they're very workmanlike. And Argentina reminds me of kind of those more flashier, more talented, more technical teams that are kind of like the like the Chiefs, if you're going to use the, the Messi to Mahomes comparison, or like the Rams with Sean McVay. I would um, say the opposite, but... Oh, really? Well, no, I think I think the, I think you're right about the teams, but it's just odd because we have basically Mahomes then on the Bucks. Kind of, yeah. Bra- yeah. I mean, Messi is the Brady here. Right. Messi's yeah. not Mahomes. Mbappe is Mahomes. Yeah. Um, no, you're right. You're right. But I, I guess mean, mean like the championship experience, right? And the, the, the and the uh, just the workmen like just get it done. Not super flashy. That's mm-hmm. how France won in 2018. That's how they're gonna win. In 2022, you oh, that's first. Cool. Yeah, all right. Let's talk about this. I, I texted you a little bit. I feel like Argentina. Um, the goalkeeping matchup here is fascinating. You've got two keepers in Hugo Lloris and Emmy Martinez who can be amazing. Mm-hmm. They can literally stop every single shot that comes their way for 90 minutes, or they can let in some really, really bad mistakes. They both have a mistake in them. They do. Um, they that feels like the wild card part of this game matchup will be either keeper could win it and either keeper could easily lose it. Um, the defenses feel kind of equally bad in many yep. ways. I think uh, that's shaky. a lot of what I'm thinking about. Um, there are going to be goals, I think. I think both defenses have big flaws and are really going to be exposed. In the midfield, I'm going to give the advantage pretty comfortably to France. I agree. Um, mostly because of Antoine Griezmann, who has been one of the best players of the tournament, but also... If Rabiot is healthy with Tuchimene, that that's a more defensively solid midfield. It's also a technically better midfield. Um, in terms of attack and forward play, I think while France have the more talented forwards, starting with Kylian Mbappe, Usman Dembele, who's super fast, Giroud is Olivier Giroud, he's awesome, but they haven't been meshing well at all together, really. Mm, not at all. It's been a lot of solo Mbappe stuff. It's been a lot of things set up by Griezmann, where Argentina... Might have a few names in their forward line that you don't know as well, but they really have flown flowed well together. Whether it's um, Enzo Fernandez with Messi or Julian Alvarez with Messi, when Angel Di Maria comes on, he obviously has a great relationship with Messi. Um, I give the edge in terms of attack to Argentina, just just a little bit. Mm-hmm. I think you're. I, I generally agree with your analysis on each of those positions. I have been an Argentina doubter this entire tournament until the semis when I kind of felt that they were going to beat Croatia. They lost to Saudi Arabia in the first game. They did. Um, the much vaunted statistic that everyone was saying when that game happened was one team has won the World Cup after losing their first game, and it was Spain in 2010. So it is possible. Argentina is now in the final. They're one game away from doubling that statistic. And what I've seen from Argentina is a team that has grown into this tournament bit by bit that hmm. that was um norwegian journal- journalist lars sivertson noted that um after i guess it was after the croatia game that they they just seem like they're with every performance they feel more solid to me um i never felt like they were going to lose that croatia game it it never felt like it was within reach of the croatians from the minute that happened um the australia game was a little bit shaky in the round of 16 obviously the Netherlands pushed them to the brink in the quarterfinals, but I didn't feel like they were going to lose an extra time either. Um, and, you know, a, a, penalt- a win on penalties can wear you out, but it also provides kind of 
a mentality strengthener that you know that you can go the distance against a really tough team. And I think the the Messi factor can't be understated. Messi has played an insane tournament um, throughout, you know, the last month. That's really been. I mean, he's thirty five. He has. Yeah. Him and Mbappe are tied with five goals each, and Messi has the tiebreaker um, with three assists. I mean, he's been. I think, even at his age, has been the best player in the tournament. I think, pretty unquestionably. And at times it's felt like he is lifting this team on his own to this final. And I think that that when you have the almost undisputed GOAT fighting for his first World Cup ever, you know, having lost a final before, I like I don't think you can rule out that X factor of mm-hmm. him just by sheer force of will winning this game at this point. I don't think it's guaranteed by any means because France is a good team. But in my mind, even though Argentina is not a perfect team, the momentum goes to them in terms of their playoff performances. That's what we talked about last time. You mentioned with with the Messi and how you kind of viewed Argentina's reliance on Messi as a weakness because it was so dependent on one guy in a very, very Mm -hmm. team-oriented game. And I kind of said, well, if there is one guy... You know, it, absolutely, it's, it's not much better than this version of Messi right now. This is he's mm-hmm. this is his best World Cup. Absolutely, this this is really probably the best. He, we talked about this last time. This is some of the best he's ever played, um, and I do feel like this is going to be a really close final. Um, it feels really evenly matched. I think either team can win. I won't fault a single person for choosing Argentina. It sounds like you're about to. Uh, oh yeah, I know. I'm locking up Argentina here. Okay, uh, give me a score. I think it's gonna be two one. Okay. Do you think lower scoring or higher scoring benefits Argentina? Probably lower scoring. I mean, I expect it's very rare that a final ends up not being. Like, 2018's final was very much an aberration. Yes. That was very strange. Um, the last two finals before that were 1-0 in extra time. Mm-hmm. And the one before that went to penalties. Yeah. Um, so, high scoring finals in the World Cup are very unusual. These are both two very tightly run teams that will want I think to keep you know you don't want to make a mistake in a final and I think that will make this game intense I think Argentina has the force in them though to come from behind if they need to okay and I think I think that will make a difference um this French team hasn't really had to fight for that I guess they fought against Australia but that was a much worse team and they lost to Tunisia yeah. Um, I don't know. I think I think this is going to be... It's two really well-matched teams, honestly. Um, I, I do give the edge to Argentina just because of the Messi factor at this point. Um, I feel like you shouldn't count him out anymore. And I think he's had a much better tournament than Mbappe has, quite yes. frankly. Yes. Um, even though they have the same amount of goals. I think France will need... I think France can pop up with goals from anywhere. Um, and I think that can't be counted out either. But I think just an overall team force it's like the 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 world cup in 2014 germany had this force behind them that felt like they just weren't going to lose and Mm -hmm. no matter what argentina did they just could not win that final this argentina team feels different to me um just like with the france team in 2018 you could very well be right but momentum to me feels very much on argentina's side and france will have to pull out something special i think 
Yeah, I'm going to pick France 3-2. to two. Um, I understand everything you said about how finals are never high scoring, but we did just talk about how bad these two defenses are and how mm-hmm. shaky they are. I think if there ever was going to be a final with lots of goals, this feels like the one where the defenses are just not going to hold. Um, France's defense with Tier Hernandez, they get forward so far that they are very defensively shaky. Argentina has had trouble with their center backs. They've just been very shaky all throughout. Um, I do expect goals, and I think high scoring does benefit France. I think we agree mm-hmm. on that. You said low scoring yeah. benefits Argentina. And so I'm going to go 3 to 2 France. Um, I think Mbappe will score and will win the golden boot. Um, I, I, Messi might score, but I think I think Mbappe could score twice. Um, mm. I think that. Yeah, yeah. I just I think that um, France are more talented, top to bottom, um, and they have they have the experience. And I feel pretty good about this pick. And I will. Mm-hmm. I part of me, a little teeny part of me, will be sad for Messi, who is one of my favorite players, who will retire without a World Cup. That feels inju- unjust. And if he does win, I feel like that will be very well deserved, and it'll be the perfect capstone for his career. It will diminish Ronaldo to the to the footnotes of history. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, but I, with my head and my heart, I am picking France. Okay, I like it. It's gonna be it's gonna be a fascinating battle. I think it's gonna be it's one of the better final matchups that we've had in quite a while. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I'm very ready. I think I think these are two teams that it's hard to pick a favorite from. I think we've both picked ours, but I I I genuinely think this could go either way. I think this is this really feels like a toss up game to me, mm-hmm. um, and I think it's I think it's the perfect end to a lot of the storylines of this World Cup. Even though I would have loved one of the underdogs to make it here, often underdogs in a final don't necessarily give you a great game, um, and yeah. this will be a good game. I think it will. Are there? Do you have any other final World Cup thoughts before we get out of here? I think. I think. I think one of my favorite things, my favorite takeaways from this World Cup, is just going to be that everyone was saying it's going to be the Messi Ronaldo duel in the final. You know, that's what everyone wanted before the tournament even started. And the true correct end to this tournament is Messi being in the final and Ronaldo nowhere to be seen, having been benched in the first round. I, I see the, just the smirk on if you could be on the Zoom call and see the smirk on John's face he is he the it feels like you feed like you find your sustenance off of off of Ronaldo hatred oh the Ronaldo bros who defend him in, in on Twitter they they give me life when they rage it's like every time every time one gets mad I like my like my inner demon just like it just feeds off of them and I just that's get, great it makes me a bad person. I don't think so. I think it's fine. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm really excited. I, you know, this is kind of like the perfect precursor into the holiday week. You know, it's I think so. Literally a week before Christmas, and then we get Christmas well, NFL for the first time, right? Yeah, I think That's so. New, right? Yeah. Uh, they've done Christmas dumb? Eve. I remember Christmas Eve games. I don't remember a Christmas Day game. Uh, okay. There may have been. I don't remember. The games um, are pretty bad, but it's okay. Big <laughs> things always happen in my life exactly seven days before Christmas. All right. In 2021, we'll keep an eye I moved. Like I, I I moved into my new house on December eighteenth, hmm. and this year there's a World Cup final, so plenty to do on December eighteenth for me usually. Um, it's gonna be great. I'm really really looking forward to it. We have given plenty of podcasts today. Absolutely, uh, what an episode! 
we we really, really packed this in with <laughs> with no pop culture segment. So no pop. Well, that's unprecedented. Yeah, so much we'll parts. have to. Uh, we'll we'll we'll. Here's here's what I'll say. Follow us on Twitter to figure out when we might record next. We're gonna yeah. have some holiday festivities and things going on. There there may be a little bit of a break here. Um, whether or not we come back right in the aftermath of the World Cup final, we'll have to discuss that. Mm-hmm. Um, but just follow us on Twitter or Instagram, but mostly Twitter to keep up to date with where we're at. Of course, if you are subscribed, you'll just see whenever we come back next in your feed. Mm-hmm. That's the easiest way. Mm-hmm. Um, but other than that, make sure to interact with the, the podcast on Twitter, like I said. Uh, you can find it at Crunching Tackles on Twitter. We're, we're also personally on Twitter where we post mm-hmm. about soccer or, or other things. I'm finally um, like active on Twitter again after a long Yeah, I've recently been like posting about active. the uh, debacle at DC, so you're welcome to, to tune into that content. <laughs> um, maybe we'll have some Avatar Way of Water talk. There's 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 a lot going on that we can we should into. We should try to do a mini pod on Avatar. That'd be great. At some That'd point. be a lot of fun. I think That'd we should. That'd be a lot of fun. Yeah. Okay. Um, so yeah, stay tuned for, for all of the ideas just flowing into our heads right now um, yep we'll put some of them on the mic for sure and until next week or or whenever we hope you all continue to be well and be safe and we'll talk to you later all right cheers guys